this topic, this message today, you can literally swap out, in many cases, marriage for relationship, family, friends, loved ones, okay? So don't miss it just because you're not marriage, uh, just because you're not married, and also um, don't miss it uh, just like you wouldn't miss parts of the Bible because you didn't live in ancient um, Ephesus, okay? So uh, everybody hear the disclaimer? Sit back, um, tune in. We have a um, way in which you can follow along in our messages. Uh, If you have the church app, you can click on uh, this weekend. It'll take you to a message button, and you can follow along and fill in the blanks. But our hope is that you learn something, not just that you spend a little bit of time listening to us, okay? Um, I'm I'm going to ask God to do something special in our hearts here this morning because of this topic and the immense importance of this topic. I also feel like that if we can grasp just a portion of this big truth that we're going to hear today, that it could be life-altering. I also believe that if we miss it, it could be life-altering. So this could be a moment in time, a stake in the ground, a turning point for somebody whose heart is tender and God's truth is deposited, and then we see some fruitfulness Uh, shortly, God willing. Would you pray with me? Father, we're going to tune into your words, your holy, unchanging, infallible, uh, trustworthy, and reliable words today. And we're going to open our hearts to hear the truth, illuminated and energized and animated by your Spirit. Pray that you'd find us willing, you'd find us humble and tender as we um, ingest this. We pray that you would scoop up people who start to feel like this is for someone else. Would you scoop them up and bring them in and let their ears, spiritual ears, be tuned in and um, high frequency. Just trust you to do it. We need you to do it. We depend on you to do it. And we know you can and will do it. Would you find a willing vessel today, we ask. We pray for miracles, transformation in our homes In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, You guys, did you see this this week? This plane that was landed, a passenger with no idea how to fly heroically lands the plane after a pilot emergency. Did you see that in the news? Can I tell you that every time I'm in the plane, I think through how I would fly it if the pilot went down and was incapacitated? I also think through what I would do if there was some kind of active terrorism on. I, I like plan my angle of attack. And sometimes I even do a little profiling. Forgive me, I start to scan the crowd to see who it likely is. It's always southern looking people, in my opinion. I'm kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah, so this is pretty amazing. This is what the pilot said, who wasn't the pilot, was the passenger. I've got got a serious situation here. My pilot has gone incoherent. So here's a picture of uh, the pilot and um, the passenger pilot and the uh, miraculous story of him having to get in the cockpit, put the headset on, and then be coached into a safe landing. And um, some of us have done something even more spectacular than that, in my opinion. We've been flying our marriage having no idea how to be married. 
We didn't learn it from our parents. We didn't learn it from our neighbors. We didn't learn it from a book. We just found ourselves in the cockpit of the marriage relationship one day. For me, it was at 22 years old. I still didn't know how to be a grown-up. But I signed up for marriage, got my license, stood at the altar, made vows for life. And then I was in the cockpit of my marriage, and I've been flying it recklessly ever since. <laughs> and when we are at the, in the cockpit of our marriages, it's so easy and so often we have no idea what we're doing. We don't know how to communicate. We don't know why marriage was designed. We don't know how to apply the air brakes. We don't know how to change altitude. We have hardly any idea where the safety devices are so on and so forth. And so far, miraculously, perhaps you've been emergency landing and the, you've been landing the plane safely every time without a nosedive crashing fireball. But it's likely that the, you've got some intense turbulence during the flight. And I'm not talking about like a little bump. Have you ever, you had that turbulence in the plane that kind of provokes screaming from the passengers? And the only thing scarier than the turbulence is the screaming of the passengers. It's um, scary up there in the marriage skies. It's scary. And it's especially scary because most of us didn't learn to fly. We are literally just like this guy. We have no idea. We just find ourselves steering and doing our best. Um, before we try to figure out how to be good at marriage, it's, um, we need to inspect why it is that God even designed it. Why did God design marriage? And we'll see here in our main idea that our marriage relationship is designed to shine, but to shine as a bright and attractive reflection of Jesus and his, in fact, Paul calls it a mystery. It's a mystery. Why is there marriage? It's a total mystery. Well, then the mystery is kind of uh, revealed, and Paul describes it this way, that it's supposed to shine as a bright and attractive reflection of Jesus' humble, self-serving love. So the design for marriage is bigger than any one of us have ever kind of adopted or discovered or are um, kind of embracing on our own. In other words, marriage is com completely pretty much never about ourselves. Instead, it's about illustrating and reflecting humble, self-giving love. And there's a new way to be human. Paul describes a new way to be human in Ephesus, uh, uh, the, to, to the Christians at Ephesus. He writes the letter to the Christians at Ephesus called Ephesians, and he says there's a new way to be human. There's a new way to be a part of a community. You used to be separated from God's family. Now you're a part of God's family by the work of Jesus, and he brings you in, and he puts you under, and he transforms you, and then he unifies you into a special new family that's brought together by a special new grace that God has expressed through Jesus. God, uh, God did not unify you and um, transform you to be a part of a countercultural 
community. In other words, a countercultural community that withdraws from the culture and throws stones at non-believers for living like non-believers or throws stones at Christians with judgment over their behaviors. He didn't gather us together to bring con- uh, condemning uh, Christians uh, who are aimed at and taking shots at the rest of the world. He also didn't bring us together, transform us, and unify us to, to enable a, com- a chameleon community, a community that's just blending in and adopting all the worldview and the world's values of godless culture and all their surroundings. But he did all the work he needed to do to empower a contrast community. That's such an important word. Not just for this message today, but for this entire series and the book of Ephesus, uh, the book of Ephesus. Can I keep saying that? Do you mind if I just... Do, and what I mean by that is the book of Ephesians, okay? doesn't seem like I'm going to ditch that today. So in the book of Ephesians, um, we see that this contrast community was generated and, 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 and transformed and unified to shine brightly, not to, not to say stuff more loudly, not to be louder, but to be brighter, to contrast the darkness of the world by living among the darkness of the world, living among the culture and shining brightly with new and winsome values, with new and winsome uh, worldview for renewing their family, their marriage, their work, their relationships, their friendships, and for renewing justice. And so it's a contrast to the problems of patriarchal, traditional Ephesian culture. That's the contrast. The Ephesian culture had some major, major problems in their traditional patriarchy. And if you want to lighten up on the modern-day Western patriarchy, dig into the Middle Eastern patriarchy in the Bible era. Just dig into that and see what patriarchy could look like in terms of uh, oppression. Um, And then the traditional patriarchy, it was so important to live for and expand your own glory. That's why they existed, to expand their own glory. Well, how do they do that? They have to build their personal wealth and give their life to building their personal family reputation. Build wealth, build your reputation. And all of a man's glory in in patriarchal traditional Ephesus, all of a man's glory in Ephesus, which was a a thriving, uh, prosperous cultural city, all of a man's glory was based on fertile spouses, productive descendants, household full of slaves, and then fruitful property. And then all men could kind of live out the the worldview that they inherited that is self-centered, self-serving, and self-reliant. And this new humanity that Paul is describing in in Ephesians is a it, it comes with a new indwelling power that helps us grow and learn and develop into a new contrast to that patriarchal culture in Ephesus. And this new family which is transformed and unified under Jesus, where he brings those who are outsiders in together with the insiders because of all the work that Jesus had done to accomplish and fulfill the law. It's full of the Spirit, and these people reflect and revere Jesus with a brand new practice. They start practicing a contrasting marriage. 
They start in their own home with their marriage, and there's a brand new practice of contrasting marriage where they give up your control and you give up your life. So Paul is saying, here's how to be a contrast. Here's how to reflect Jesus well. Here's how to live like a new humanity that's been brought into a new family in light of what Jesus has done, and it is to give up your control and give up your life. And this undermines the code of conduct in the culture. Completely undermines it. Nobody was talking about giving up control. Nobody was talking about giving up your life. This is countercultural. This is contrast culture. So, he says, and further, submit to one another. Submit to one another. The submission of our new humanity deeply transforms our households. Let me say this again. The submission in our new humanity, the submission of our lives, one to another, deeply transforms our households. Giving in and giving up yourself transforms your marriage, it transforms our parenting, it transforms our friendships. How does it do that? Well, there's a spirit-empowered, selfless sacrifice, a spirit-empowered, selfless submission. So we, don't, we, we cannot miss how Paul here calls both the husband, and the wife to mutual submission. To love each other is to be expressed through mutual submission. And Paul shows that um, exactly what he expects, which is he expects the husband also to submit to the wife. Paul's words always affirmed mutual submission and love. Do you know you can read text after text after text where he says stuff like, be completely humble and gentle. Not in portion, not partially, not in some ways, but completely. And to do so for one another, with one another in love. We are all members of one body. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Live a life of love, he says, so many different ways, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up. So, so he uses an example of mutual submission here, starting with the wife, and then he moves on to the husband. The first example he gives of submitting to one another is a call to the wife. And he says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands. Submit to your husbands specifically in contrast to the culture that you're living in as to the Lord as the church submits to Christ. So he says, not just to submit to your husband, but how that looks with a metaphor, a picture. Wives selflessly give up control to cooperate with your spouse. You are equal worth and equal value, and to cooperate means to give up control over him. Some of the pain and suffering experienced in marriage might be because the wife in the relationship cannot give up control. She is compelled, and she finds irresistible control of her husband. She finds irresistible criticizing his decisions. She finds irresistible criticizing his parents' uh, uh, parenting style. Or she finds irresistible challenging every word he says, or at least that's how he would describe it. Now, I've heard this out of a husband's mouth while I was sitting with the two of them together. I heard a husband say, 
Listen, in my opinion, one of the main problems in our marriage is that she won't even let me have an opinion, much less express an opinion. And the wife immediately snaps back and says, don't say that. That's not true. (laughs) That was fantastic what just happened there. That's so powerful. (laughs) There we have it. So... Um, secular households were focused, keep this in mind, keep this in mind. Here's the backdrop. Secular households were focused on this household table and what happens at the household table. And in Ephesus, it was focused on the priorities of, listen, control and order. Control and order. And the patriarchy was protected to have control and to maintain order by using and abusing their wife, their kids, their slaves, all their employees, their household. And Paul says literally nothing to the husbands about maintaining or establishing control over his spouse. In fact, um, he introduces a brand new practice for the men who are in marriage. Brand new practice, mind-boggling. Completely flips this order of male-dominating order and control using and abusing, and he flips it upside down, and he provides this new contrast, this new family of disciples. For husbands, this means love your wives. So in the mutual submission, this is what it means for husband: Love your wives. And it's not hard. You don't have to listen long to hear a husband express something like, you know, to spend more time with her and the kids. She wants me to give up stuff. She wants me to give up golf. She wants me to give up extra overtime shifts at work. She wants me to give up fishing. She wants me to give up work travel. I'm going to give up all that, but I will not give up late-night gaming I don't mean personally, I'm, I'm finishing the quote here. She wants me to give up binging on Netflix. She even wants me to give up female friends, spend more time with her, spend more time with the kids, be more exclusive. And then he prays about it. And God says, I only want you to willingly give up one thing, not all those things. I only want you to give up one thing, and it is your life. Give up your life. So I get to keep all the other stuff? Not if that's your life. You give it up. You have a willingness in your heart to forfeit those things, to demonstrate love. Who else gives up things self-sacrificing in order to demonstrate love? We learn that from our Savior. It's an ultimate love. It's a transformational love. This thing, this kind of love changes you. It changes your marriage. It changes your home. It changes your household. For husbands, this means love your wife. So, for a husband, this is what love looks like. Just so that we get this clear, Paul goes on to say, you love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. And the question's worth asking, which is more challenging, giving up control or giving up your life? I mean, there's similarities that are Um, so intricately um, woven together here. But it looks like Jesus' loves. Husbands selflessly give up their life 
for their bride, the same way Jesus gave up his life for his bride. It looks the same. Husbands, if you're trying to sort through how you're supposed to love, you've got one big question, how does Jesus love? And then you get to see the pattern of humble submission and servanthood. It couldn't be clearer. It couldn't be more vivid. The love of the husband isn't a shallow adolescent love. It's not fickle. It's not all on and all off. It's not sentimental romantic love. The love of uh, a new family, transformed new belonger and believer to Jesus is not self-serving transactional love where I'm going to love you if I get something in return. This is a Jesus going to the cross, crucified for the love of the bride kind of love. That's intense. That's intense. That to me feels like what it would feel like to be flying a plane with no prior experience flying a plane. Like it is unnatural and it is, it, I require help from the outside. And husband gets to, uh, um, his love gives up his own selfish interests and desires to demonstrate that love. He doesn't ask, how much less sacrifice can I get away with before she starts to complain? How much more could I give her is the real question here. By the way, if husbands love their wives, I think I mentioned this already, it'll transform the relationship. Love's like this. It's transformational. This kind of love for one's life like Jesus's, is not compatible with selfish, dominating, using, abusing, or controlling. It is not compatible. I hear these stories all the time where someone mentions, you know, a wife might mention to me or to someone else, yeah, I mean, every now and then it refers to the Bible that says, wives, submit to your husbands. I'm like, the minute that comes out of his mouth, he is not loving the wife the way Christ loved the church. 